Well, as we think about politics this evening, it's good to think about what that word actually means. Um, and how I kind of understand it is we're thinking about the way in which our society is organized and governed. Uh, how power is held, how various different things are distributed, whether that's money or resources, where schools are placed, who gets food, where houses are built, that sort of thing. And for us in the UK, that means thinking in particular about the Houses of Parliament, you know, the House of Lords, House of Commons, formerly under the authority of the Queen, um, and also about our, our legal institutions, the courts, and then the local council, and zooming out, thinking globally about things like the UN, the United Nations, and various other global institutions. And whether we like it or not, all of us do interact with politics, whether that's simply by following the law, or breaking the law, or voting if you're old enough, or uh, deciding not to vote, those are all political decisions. Maybe some of you are more involved. Uh, maybe you're a member of a political party or you campaign. Or maybe you've joined a protest movement. Or maybe some of you have run for some level of government. And some of us will be very engaged in politics. Some of us won't be. Again, that's okay. But if we're Christians, then it's important that we do have a solid biblical foundation for understanding what's going on in politics um, and thinking about how we interact with it. And if you are here a couple of weeks ago, you'll remember Sam talking about how so often worldviews are based upon shaky foundations. They're, they're not, they, they may seem as if they're based on reason and evidence and rationality, but actually at the bottom there tends to be a set of unquestioned assumptions and presuppositions. But as Christians we have a solid foundation based on uh, what the creator of the universe has revealed to us in his word, the Bible. And so that's what we're going to be spending our time looking at this evening, what God has to say about these things. Um, and how that relates to 21st century politics. And how, I think however long you have been a Christian, some of us will have been Christians a lot longer than others, um, it, it can be good to just recalibrate and recenter our minds every so often to make sure that it is the Bible that's laying at the foundation of our views. So often other things, friends, family, teachers, social media, can cloud our judgment and, and make us think in ways that aren't helpful. Right, so we're going to be looking at three foundations um, and then looking at the biblical model for how to think about politics. So our three foundations are kingdom, our calling, and our king. And so the first biblical foundation is this. If we put our trust in Jesus as our saviour, then we are primarily citizens of God's kingdom. If we put our trust in Jesus our saviour, then we're not primarily citizens of the United Kingdom or of any other country, but primarily citizens of God's kingdom. So in Revelation chapter 5, the last book of the Bible, we get this vision of Jesus sitting on the throne in heaven. And there's this seal, this, um, this scroll with all these seals on and no one can open it. Um, and then Jesus comes and takes the seal and everyone who's standing around the throne starts singing a song. And the lyrics to that song are this. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. Through Jesus' death on the cross then, he bought himself a people, a kingdom. And that is the whole story of the Bible, kind of summed up and finalised here in Revelation. story of how God created the world, he was going to be their king, the people's king, and we as humans were going to be his people in his kingdom. But the Bible tells the story of how all people rebel against God, and so God as a just king kicks us out of his kingdom. We don't belong in his kingdom because we've rebelled against him and we deserve death. But because God loves us, he sent Jesus, his son, to pay the punishment we deserve, death, so that he can buy us back. That's what it says here. He bought us with his blood. He can buy us back into his kingdom. 
And if we trust in Jesus, then that price that we need to pay in order to get into his kingdom has been paid by his blood. And we are part of his kingdom now. And the Apostle Peter puts it this way. He says to Christians, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. So we are citizens of God's kingdom. We're his people. And that should fundamentally alter how we think about politics. Primarily, we're not citizens of the United Kingdom, but citizens of God's kingdom. So just as how, well, in some ways it's similar, similarly to how a UK citizen going abroad to live or work in America, for example, maybe for university or for some other job, is going to think and interact with US politics in a very different way to a fully-fledged US citizen, so too, as citizens of God's kingdom, primarily at least, we should change how we think about earthly politics. And in Paul's letter to the Philippians, we're told not to live in the same way as non-Christians do. Why? Because it says at the end of verse 19, because their mind is set on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. So as citizens of heaven, our mind should not be set on earthly things, but on our saviour and on our true kingdom. So we're going to go and turn into our tables now to look at some passages about God's kingdom. The whole Bible is filled with beautiful images of God's kingdom. Those were just six. We could have gone on for hours looking at passages, amazing passages. So we have, if we are in God's kingdom, it's an eternal kingdom, it's an amazing kingdom, it's ruled unlike any kingdom we can imagine, uh, bought for us by our saviour, and it's a kingdom made up of all nations that will never end. Uh, Yeah, so and I think, so being citizens of God's kingdom changes our perspective, and I think one of the big ways it should do this is, is going to be based on the, uh, the second of these biblical foundation, foundations, our calling as citizens of God's kingdom. If you ask politicians in the House of Commons what our society's biggest need is, I think depending on what party they belong to, they'll give a range of different answers, whether it's more housing, uh, strengthen the NHS, provide more jobs, cut carbon emissions, strengthen our borders, invest in technology... Uh, whatever it is, um, all of them would be wrong. And I don't think anyone would give the right answer, which, if, as we Christians believe the Bible is right, is the Bible's answer, uh, that everyone's greatest need is to be forgiven their rebellion against God and to be brought by Jesus into his kingdom. And every other need is far below secondary. And Jesus, of course, knew that very well. That's why he came to die. And it's why, even though at the time of Jesus, the Roman Empire was horrifically oppressing the Jewish people, And Jesus would have known that just a few decades after he went back to heaven um, was going to completely destroy the temple um, and persecute Christians horrifically. Jesus didn't come and overthrow the Roman Empire, put himself on the throne and rule in justice and be a good earthly king. Instead, he came to die, to buy this eternal citizenship into this kingdom, which is so much better than um, any earthly kingdom. And I think because we're so used to that fact that Jesus came to die for us, we sometimes might forget how shocking it is and how shocking it was to his disciples. They were so excited by Jesus, they saw him doing all these miracles, and eventually, one by one, they started to realise that he was this promised Messiah from the Old Testament. And yet still, we get these hints that they wanted Jesus to try and become an earthly ruler. 
um, and overthrow the Romans. So in Matthew 16, um, Jesus tells his disciples that um, he's going to have to be killed. And Peter is having none of it. He says, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Because he probably thought Jesus was going to be this triumphant promised Messiah, not just to get killed. And what does uh, Jesus say to him? Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in uh, in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Paul couldn't see past his earthly political goals. However good and just those goals were, he probably wanted freedom from oppression, justice um, for the the poor and needy. He couldn't see past those tiny little human concerns to his country's greatest need, that they would be forgiven their sin. Something that only could be achieved by Jesus going to Jerusalem um, and being killed and rising from the dead. And I think, when I think about politics anyway... I, I often I think about what I would like done, and if you imagine what you would like done in our country, you know, bringing everyone out of poverty, um, everyone can get the healthcare they need, get the job they want, um, have happy lives, well, what good would it be if they don't know Jesus? I think Jesus would probably say to us, as he said to uh, Peter, what good would it be if someone were to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? So as we think about politics, we need to get our priorities right. What everyone needs is the gospel. Not all of these other things. Everything else is far below secondary. So our citizenship of God's kingdom is the context in which we think about politics. And we need to have our priorities right. Our calling is also the, the context in which we think about politics and in its proper secondary position. And now we're going to think about the third uh, biblical foundation, our king. Oh, here we go. Yes. So obviously Jesus, when he, just before going back to heaven, tells his disciples, he doesn't tell them, go and change politics and um, bring about peace and justice on the world. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. So we're going to think about, a bit about our king. Um, the whole Bible is about our king, so we're not going to read the whole Bible. We're going to focus on one a- aspect of what our king uh, is like. And again, we're going to look at various different passages, starting with one. Mm, yeah, great, thank you. Just going back to that Proverbs one, I think what, something you see all through the Bible is that this, this should, we shouldn't see this as, well, a person has one plan and God has another and it's God's plan that's going to win. Like God, can, God works in other people's plans as well. So you see that in the story of Joseph, don't you, when um, Joseph says to them, you meant it for harm, but God meant it for good. Um, well, obviously we, we see that all the way through the Bible with Judas and other things. And then in Romans, Paul says, uh, Romans 8 all things work together for the good of those who love him, even evil empires or powers or whatever it is. Yeah, definitely. And I, yeah, remembering sort of who was in charge when each of these books was written is, can be quite helpful. So Romans, when Paul's writing Romans, the Emperor Nero is, is, on, the, is on the Roman throne, I suppose. Well, do they have thrones? I don't know. I don't know anything about the Romans. But I do know that he, he would go on to burn Christians in his garden. You know, This was possibly the worst Roman emperor you could imagine for, well, one of them, for Christians anyway. And yet Paul can say, be subject to the governing authorities because God's put them there. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, so that's, that's all of our, um, our passages there. So we, have, we are part of God's kingdom. We have a calling as citizens of God's kingdom. Um, and we have an incredible king. And I want to invite you, if, if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, 
I wonder what you've been feeling as you've been reading these passages. This is the, the king, that, the, the God that we believe in as Christians. Um, and we can feel an amazing sense of security knowing that we are going to be in this kingdom forever. And yeah, if that's something you're interested in, do please look into it. All other earthly kingdoms are on shaky ground and we can't depend on them, but we can depend on God. Right, we're going to um, end by looking at the model that the Bible gives us for how we should actually practically engage in politics. We have those foundations now, and now we're going to look at um, what the Bible says we should actually be doing. Um, And I think before we do that, it's important to... Obviously, the Bible is a massive book written over thousands of years, um, well, yeah, um, and finished around 2,000 years ago. And so it's, it's important that we situate ourselves within the story of the Bible. Where are we? Who can we look to for examples? And I think the first thing to say is we're not Old Testament Israel. So throughout much of the Old Testament, God's kingdom, Israel, was a physical earthly kingdom with borders and a capital city. Um, and God did dwell within the temple um, in Jerusalem. But all the way through the Old Testament, God is pointing his people and telling his people that one day... As we've seen in a lot of these verses, people from all over the world are going to be welcoming into the kingdom. Um, And we didn't look at this verse, but Jesus says, doesn't he, my kingdom is not of this world. He's not going to set up an earthly kingdom now anyway um, with borders, or he's not going to be ruling in Israel um, as as we know it anyway. And then all through the New Testament, we see that Jesus, although Jesus is already king, he's already died and um, risen from the dead, his kingdom hasn't yet fully arrived. And that's why we pray, your kingdom come. And and we know that one day Jesus will return and his kingdom, the new creation that we read about in Revelation 21, where there'll be no crying, no pain, no death, perfect justice, no more sin, no more wars. That will one day come and, and God's kingdom will fully come. But until Jesus does return and bring about his kingdom fully, we're not physically in the kingdom, even though we are citizens of the kingdom and Jesus is already king. So we shouldn't look at the Old Testament where that was kind of a situation, looking forward to this new creation, where God is living, you know, as we were thinking about the Bible overview last year, God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. We are God's people. We're not yet fully in God's place, but we are under his rule, looking forward to being in his kingdom. So we're not Old Testament Israel, but we are in exile. So while we wait in this sort of in-between time between Jesus having already become king and his kingdom fully coming in the new creation, the Bible says that we're like exiles. We're not in our home country uh, that we belong to, and we're having to live for a period of time as if in a foreign country as we wait for our king to come back. So when we're looking at the Bible, we can look at those bits of the Bible that deal with the people of God's exile in Babylonia. We can look at people like Daniel or Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Esther, and how they lived as citizens of God's kingdom living in a foreign land. And we can also look at the New Testament, because we're in the same boat as all the New Testament writers. Citizens of God's kingdom, waiting for Jesus to return, um, but not yet there. And we can also look at the teachings of Jesus himself as he teaches us how to live as we wait for him to come back. Uh, So that's what we're going to do now. We're going to look at some passages... I think that's, this, is, this is a good one to end on as we think of how we as a church can be engaged in politics. Where, whatever that means for us individually, as a church, if we are this light 
um, or like a city on a hill. Uh, However, whatever's going on around us, however British politics moves, if the church is united around our biblical foundations as citizens of heaven and living the way God wants us to live, um, then people are going to see our good deeds and um, hopefully uh, be brought bought, um, and won for the kingdom. Great, thank you very much. I've, as we end, I've just got three challenges for us to go away and think about um, based on these sort of biblical foundations we've been thinking about. So number one, let's not let politics become an idol of ours. And I think it's easy, easy to do without even realising we've done it. Um, but yeah, our primary citizenship is in heaven, not here, and Jesus is our king, and not any earthly political party or, or politician, even if that political party or politician seems to be you know, pro-Christian or even run by a Christian. We shouldn't pin all our hopes on that person, or, or they're going to bring about this reformation. Um, um, Christianity is going to be uh, number one in the UK again, and we're not going to have to hide our opinions anymore. Even, that's, those are great things, um, and we can put our support behind those sorts of things, but let's not idolise them. Number two, don't see politics as a means to an end. What do I mean by that? Well, I think most of our political parties today support some policies, at least, that are, in God's eyes, abhorrently evil. Um, and I think it can be easy for us to sort of forget them and ignore those policies um, if that same party is pushing something else that we think is important or perhaps beneficial to Christianity. But if we remember that God is our king and is over all things and all human rulers and institutions, um, then we can sort of act in accordance with our conscience and in accordance with God's revealed will for our lives, as we've been looking at in the previous passages, uh, and leave, leave the rest of it to God. And that will mean different things for different people. Um, for some, it might mean working within political parties that you do support to try and enact change. Um, for some, it might mean thinking about who we do vote for. For some, and by no means all, that might mean deciding that you don't want to vote at all. Those are all okay things to do. And, um, well, especially with the US election a couple of years ago, we saw some major, um, major Christian leaders uh, putting forward their views as to why you should vote for party A or party B or why you shouldn't vote at all. Everyone has got to make up their own minds. And number three, let's not let politics divide us. That's how I started, isn't it? On the basis of these biblical foundations that we have, Christians are still going to disagree on politics because, obviously, the Bible wasn't written in the 21st century. And that's okay, as long as we remember that primarily we're all citizens of God's kingdom, with God as our king, and that everyone's primary need um, is to be part of this kingdom.